Thank you for joining us today for the Oakwood Baptist Church podcast. This episode was recorded at the Home Builder Sunday School class, which Pastor Jones teaches at Oakwood. The lessons are taken from the book, The Ministry of Marriage by Jim Benny. John chapter 15, please. Let's turn there. I want to speak to you this morning about fibs, about falling into feelings. So that's a lot of alliteration for a preacher there, but uh, fibs about falling into feelings. I want to read a verse to you. I ask you to turn to John 15. Uh, In John 15, look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. I want you to pause and think about that for a moment. How did Jesus love us? Well, I think you could say he loved us with a sacrificial love. You know, he did not use his leadership for his own benefit. Let that sink in for a minute. You know, sometimes we talk in this class about leadership in the home and fellas, your responsibility to lead. But, you know, sometimes I think men take their, their role as leaders because it's like, this is my way and do it the way I want. Listen, that's not biblical leadership. Jesus surrendered himself. He sacrificed. He was selfless. And he says, listen, you love each other the way I, I have loved you. He goes on to say, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Listen, married people should be friends. I know that's not the context of what Jesus is saying, but it is an application of what Jesus is saying. We ought to be friends. And he says here, greater love hath no man than this. You want to see what love really looks like? Lay your life down. Give of yourself for your friends. So I want to talk to you today about fibs, about feelings, okay? And I want to talk about what, we're basically going to talk about what love is not. And the next time we're together, we, Lord willing, we'll talk about what love is, all right? Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us today, and that you would help us to truly obey this command, to love each other as you have loved us. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I really believe that every couple at some point in their relationship is going to face a crisis. Every couple. Now again, I think our minds immediately go into a crisis with each other. And that that may not necessarily be the case. Now, Now it could be. It could be people sitting here, like we've got some newly married folks in here. And that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Uh, we've got some, some war veterans in here, you know, and I love that too. And so some of the newly marrieds are thinking, oh man, I mean, I've, I've been married for three months, man. We haven't had a problem at all. This is a piece of cake. Uh, you know, you may never have a major crisis between each other, but there's a good chance you will. Even among good Christian people. Uh, maybe your crisis is going to be with one of your kids. Maybe your crisis is going to be with health. Maybe your crisis is going to be with finance. I don't, I don't know what it is, uh, but, but it, it just seems like every couple at some point is faced with a crisis. <coughs> What's sad to me <coughs> as a pastor, and by the way, I have had a cold, but I'm on the back end of that. But when I exert my voice, sometimes I get a tickle in there and I have to, I have to uh, cough. And so bear with me today a little bit about that. Um, but... I think what bothers me, I, I, 
I was studying a passage about Paul. I haven't preached it yet. And he talks about, he talks about the inner anguish of ministry. And I want you to think about some of the inner anguish of ministry, what, a, what maybe a shepherd would go through. It's hard for a shepherd to watch people go through a crisis and you watch and observe and sadly, more people lose than they do win. And, 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 and I, I hate that. It, it's, it's become commonplace to hear in our culture where we just don't love each other anymore. Or, or maybe they, they ask maybe a better question or they, they make a better statement. They say, how can we love each other like, like we used to? And, and they kind of don't know how. And, and it seems like they're hungering for something better. They're hungering for something deeper than what they have. And I think there are several reasons for this love hunger. And one of them is really a misunderstanding about the lies uh, that they've believed about what love is. Maybe it's a misunderstanding about what was ahead of them at the time of their wedding. You know, a, a revival of love cannot take place if there exists a misdirected effort to satisfy a spiritual need in a carnal way. And I think that, that that statement right there is is indicative of a lot of people. We're trying to we're trying to solve spiritual problems with carnal weapons, with carnal attitudes or methods, and and that's going to leave you frustrated. Uh, if unfulfilled expectations bring discouragement and depression, and I think that they do. We, we've talked about how unfulfilled, unmet expectations can be a serious challenge to marriage. If that's the case, then it's vital that the differences in false love and true love be identified. So let's do that this morning. I want to give you five dangerous, well-known lies about love. Remember we talked about, we talked about all these fibs or myths about marriage. You have to pull down before you can build up. You have to, you have to root out before you can plant something in. And so that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to root out and pull down so that moving forward we can build up and, and plant something good. So here, here's the first fib about love. Are you ready? One, it is not true that love is natural. It's not true that love is natural. I want to prove that to you because some of you might be going, what? No, no, no. See, if you're saying, if you hear that statement, it's not true that love is natural. Um, You've you, probably been affected by culture more than you realize. Now, this might sound carnal. We talked about carnality, but some of you will relate to this. How many of you remember Casey Kasem's Top 40? Oh, yeah. All right. I remember when we get out of church. I know that this, like, this is not the way I really raised my family. We get out of church. And you get in this old station wagon. How many of you know a station wagon was? You know, that's like an SUV before they were cool, right? You know, and you'd get in the station wagon, you'd go home. And, and I remember Casey Kasem would be on the radio and he'd be finishing up about the time that church was over. And so you'd hear what the like top five songs were. You're like, Dad, turn that up, man. I like this one, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, if you're going, what? Love's not natural, man. I mean, like, do you know how many songs talk about Loving you is easy. I can't help but loving you. I mean, like, all of the, that message just kind of permeates through movies and, and romance novels and, and music and all of those kind of things. But, but here's my question for you. If love 
was so natural, why did God command us to do it? I mean, we just read this, right, in John 15. But, but that's not the only place. All right? Can, can, we, can, we, be, can we do a sword drill? Come on. Can I, can I wake you up this morning? Can we do a little sword drill? All right, somebody say, all right, uh, Jeremy, take, take Ephesians 5 for me. Oh, but she, no, 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 she doesn't know, oh, I'm going to give you one. All right, Angie, Titus chapter 2, Jeremy, Ephesians chapter 5, who will take Colossians chapter 3? All right, Mark, uh, uh, 1 John 4, who wants to get 1 John 4? All right, thank you. All right, Jeremy, have you gotten Ephesians 5? 25. This is the one. This is what you just got, you got buried under. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for Absolutely. So Jeremy's 100% right. I, I think the reason, and, and, and who had Colossians 3? Mark, did you have that? Go ahead and read that one too. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives, be not bitter Okay, so I, I think, let, let's start with Jeremy's verse. He's telling men, you know, love your wives, and this is how you should love them. And the reason he's doing that, I, I really believe this is because, like what Jeremy said, it's not real natural for men to, men to be like that. And, and, and I think that it's not hard to get to the root. Why did he say, love your wives, and this is how you need to do it, sacrificially and selflessly? Why did he specifically say that? Come on, men, you should answer this. We're selfish. I mean, come on. If you're like me, you got married at 21. You're a young man, you got married. You, we were selfish, egotistical. I mean, just, it's true. Now, I know there's some on, that are not as far on the spectrum as others, but we're all on the spectrum, my friend. It's true. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit of God to work in us. All right? I think it's interesting that he said to, to in Colossians, same thing, but he says, but don't be bitter. But what is bitterness? Bitterness is a form of anger. Men get real angry. I didn't get my way. You didn't do what I wanted to do. You're disrupting my life. And, and it's, I've seen so many men become resentful in their marriage. And the Bible is commanding us. It's warning us and it's commanding us. All right? Now, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 4. Would you read that, Miss Angie? All right. So isn't that interesting? The Bible does say that you have to teach ladies to love their husbands. And I think it's even interesting, you wouldn't even think that it would have to say this. They have to be taught how to love their kids. Now some of you say, well, catch me when homeschooling isn't very organized, and I will tell you why I need to be commanded to love my kids, right? You know? uh, but, but the truth is, is I mean, we kind of joke and say we do know why some animals eat their young, you know, like, but the Bible is saying, listen, I'm commanding you to love your kids. And it's going to be a challenge for you. It's going to be a challenge for you. It's not always going to be natural to you. I thought that was interesting. All right. First uh, John four, verse 21. Uh, Veronica, you had that one?
Yep. And the King James, it says, And this commandment have we from him, that he who loved God love his brother also. Again, the Bible's commanding us. <laughs> that person at the supermarket, that neighbor next door, that uncle, that in-law, whoever it is in your life, you're being commanded to love them. Now, again, why is all of that necessary if it's so natural? Apparently, mankind is incapable of sustaining love without some outside help. That's where our faith comes in. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. We know the second law of thermodynamics says this, any closed system left to itself will ultimately break down. So basically what we learn from the law of thermodynamics, but we also learn from the truth of Scripture is this, that an uncultivated field will grow, but it's going to grow weeds. That's just a practical way of saying this. The natural inclination of the heart is to fall into degeneration. You, you, just, you can't just say, well, we got married, so that's it. No, you have to cultivate your field. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. I promise you. I don't care who you are. I'm serious. I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't, I don't care if you're raised in church all your life. You can't just leave your field unattended. Otherwise, it will grow, but it will grow weeds. You have to be careful. Why? Because true love, not technically natural. Selfish love is. We'll talk more about that. All right, I probably have to pick up the pace, but number two, it is not true that love is perpetual. And this is kind of a similar thought, but all of them are fairly similar. But love simply will not last on its own, on, on its own energy. Why? Because it has a natural enemy. What is our natural enemy? Now pay attention to my words. I said what? I did not say who. I know we have a natural enemy in Satan, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. Um, but yeah, sin. And can anybody think, I know it's hard to read my mind, I get it. Uh, but can anybody think of the verse I'm thinking about where Jesus himself states that? <coughs> in context with love. I know, it's hard to read my mind, I get it. But he said, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You don't think that's so true about married couples? I mean, married couples that stood at an altar and said, out of, out of seven billion plus people, you're the one I mean I want to spend my life with. You picked out romantic songs and they sang them and you stared into each other's eyes and made everybody uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you know, you're the one. And fast forward 10 years, 20 years, and you have people that are like, yeah, don't even love them. How does that happen? Like, really, how does that happen? Well, the Bible tells us how it happens. Because iniquity abounds. <coughs> when I was in college, um, I needed to buy a new car. <coughs> and I, I found a, I know they don't make them anymore, but I found a little Saturn. And, and, and those were actually good cars, you know, like they were cheaper cars, but they were, they were good little cars. This is a little four-door coupe, you know, and five-speed. I, 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 my first couple of cars were five-speeds. Anybody else start driving a stick-shift car? Man, I, I kind of miss those, man. They, they're, you can't hardly find them anymore, and they're really fun to drive. So it was a little five-speed car, but it had a lot of miles on it. 
And I thought the guy was asking too much. But what it was, was he was a Saturn mechanic. I mean, a certified Saturn mechanic. He had bought this car on his own. He had fixed all kinds of things up in it. And he knew what he had in that car. And I remember I was trying to wheel and deal with him on the price. And I remember he telling me, he just looked at me and said, he said, hey man, I, I hate to break your heart. He goes, but I'm not moving off this price because I know what's in this car. And he said to me, he said, listen, I'm telling you right now, pretty much if you'll just change the oil in this car, this thing will run forever. And he had some news article of a car that he had serviced that had turned over 600,000 miles. This guy was a salesman, had a Saturn, drove it over 600,000 miles. He said, I serviced that car. He said, I'm telling you, you do that, you take care of this car like that, this thing will run as long as you take care of it. Well, I traded that in. We started having kids, and I had to do the, the really cool thing of getting a minivan. <laughs> How many have been there, done that, right? And uh, uh, I, I traded that Saturn in for a minivan. When I traded it in, it had like 250,000 miles on it, and it was running as smooth as could be. In fact, when I traded it in, the guy said, well, I'm going to drive this around the block. Just make sure you know everything's good on traded. He came back. He said, man, this car runs super. He said, that thing is fun to drive us. And I know I hate to give it up for a minivan. <laughs> but, but here's my point. What if I didn't change the oil? What if I didn't service it? What if I didn't maintain it? You know what's going to happen, right? Don't. Don't change your oil. What's going to happen? The engine's going to lock up. You look, I'm, I'm no mechanical genius. I've told you before, this is pastor and people relationship. If you ever see me on the side of the road with my hood up, stop and pick me up. Because I'm just standing there because that's what men are supposed to do. You know, looking there. <laughs> but I know enough about this. You've got to keep it lubricated with that oil. Otherwise, it's going to lock up. The friction is going to be so hot so intense and so sharp that that thing can't function. Well, the truth of the matter is, is if we don't have the Holy Spirit in our life and in our, ministry, or in our marriages, and we, we don't have God working in us like that. Listen, your relationship, I don't care who you are, is, it's not going to be perpetual. It's going to lock up. And listen carefully to me. A car can be replaced. You say, well, so can a marriage. Not very easily. You talk about cars. I was having trouble. I, I, I bought a Volvo. I liked that car. It was a pretty cool car. It had windshield wipers on the headlights, man. I mean, it was cool. But I started having electrical problems with it. And I got so sick of dealing with electrical problems because they are very hard to figure out. I got so sick of dealing with that. I told my wife, I said, before the sun sets today, I will have a new car. And did you know before the sun set that day, I had a different car. A car's not, listen, I understand. Buying a car from a dealership, you'd almost rather get a root canal instead of that. But, but again, a car replacing that's one thing. Replacing a marriage, entirely different thing. Entirely different thing. And I'm just warning you, love is not forever if sin enters into somebody's heart. If sin gets in the midst of a relationship. All right, number three. It is not true that love is emotional. And I want to be careful here because I've said this multiple times throughout our series. I'm not saying that there are not emotions attached to love. Please hear me on that. I don't want you to become robotic in your relationships. 
You know, I think marriage is a covenantal relationship. It's not a contractual relationship. I, I, I sometimes say this in preaching and teaching about this. I, when Mindy and I got married, I, I didn't go to her and say, all right, well, look, look, we got to set the terms here. I mean, I didn't say that. I, I didn't say, listen, I'll change the oil in the car, I'll mow the grass, and I will take the garbage out to the curb. Uh, you make, make dinner and, and do the dishes and vacuum the floor. And if some of you are sitting there going, well, that's sexist. Okay, I didn't say I'll make dinner and vacuum the floor and do the dishes and you change the oil. Let's shake on it. We, we didn't do that. Now, you've got to figure those things out at some point. But that's not what we did, right? We made a covenantal relationship before God that said, till death do us part. Now, that's pretty significant. But I'm going to tell you, when, when we exchanged vows and we had a day, listen, there was a lot of emotions involved in that. Because I got a little emotional while I was making those vows to her. You say, what do you mean? I, got, I had some tears in my eyes because I, I wanted to mean those things. I mean, we were, we were happy. We were smiling. We were rejoicing. This was a happy time and occasion in our life. So I'm not trying to say that those things are void of emotion and Listen, that's why I was encouraging you to get away with one another because sometimes you can rekindle those emotions and recapture those things, and that's wonderful. But, but Bob Jones Sr. said this, happiness is stumbled upon in the pathway of duty. And I'm actually going to be preaching on that a little bit this morning in the life of Paul, but happiness is stumbled upon in the pathway of duty, meaning this, happiness is really a byproduct of something. You can maybe say happiness is the byproduct of holiness. Maybe you can say byproduct, uh, happiness is the byproduct of just doing what is right. See, the problem today, especially in American culture, is we major on feelings and we minor on duty. We major on, yeah, I don't feel this way. or I, 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 Man, I'm just not having fun. And I, I, I want to experience this. And I don't know why the spark isn't there. But when you talk to people about, hey, this is what you need to do, eh, I don't want to do that. Because I'm going to be preaching a sermon pretty soon in our series on Think Biblically, Live Accordingly, on biblical counsel. And here's one of my thoughts. This has really been going over in my mind over and over again. Do you know what most people want? They want change, but they don't want character. I mean, it really... I got this problem, and I want it to change, and I want it to change now. I want to meet, I want to meet, I want to talk, you got the, I, I want to change. I want this to be different. But they don't want to do what it takes to change it. That's called character, duty, responsibility, obedience. Now, again, many define love only in terms of emotion. So instead of being in love with a person, many are really intoxicated by a feeling. And once the object of their love stops producing feelings, their interest in that object stops producing, uh, uh, is, is, is not there as well. But, but I want to tell you, again, we're talking about different Bible verses. 1 Corinthians 13, everybody knows, right? It's the chapter on love, right? One of the things that love is characterized by this, it says it endureth all things. So the seasons of boring, waning feelings, Monotony, love, real love, endures all things. It even says in that same chapter, real love never fails. Do you understand what that means? 
I mean, it really means this. It never runs out. It never comes to an end. And I think sometimes what many mistake is love is really just infatuation. All right. Um, man, I got, like, I got like two minutes. I can't get the last two out, but let me give you this last one. It is not true that love is conditional. To understand this lie, you have to be aware of three categories of love. And please, diagnose yourself here, because I think this is really good. Number one, there's some that, that only have a because of love. A because of love. This love is kind of what we just mentioned. It finds its basis in the object of love. For example, I love you because you're pretty. Now again, at some point, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to rock everybody's world. I don't care how many oil of Olay products you buy to get rid of your wrinkles and stuff. They're coming. Right? I mean, beauty at some point eludes us all. Some of you are like, never had it. I, I, I leave that for you to decide, right? Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, that's where you see like some, some midlife crisis dude, the guy's overweight, wearing a toupee, driving a, cor a Corvette, and he's got a 20-year-old blonde or something, right? You know, that's ridiculous. But the idea is I love you because you're pretty. I love you because you're handsome. I love you because you're wealthy. I love you because whatever. That, that, that's not love. And we're going to diagnose that in just a second. We're going to see what that really is. Then there's some that they don't have a because of. I, I love you because you're pretty. I love you because you're handsome. I love you because you're wealthy. I love you because you make me feel good. I love you because you make me happy. But there's some that have an if love. It's, it's very similar. This love finds its energy not so much in the object of love, but it finds its energy in the results of that love. So I love you if you meet my needs. I love you if you do what I tell you to. I love you if you're the way I want you to be. I love you if you meet my expectations. If you, if you don't, I hate you. I despise you. But if you do, then, then I love you. Now somebody diagnosed that. We're saying that's not love. It is, but it isn't. Diagnose that love. What, what is that really? Yeah, it's, it's, you said selfish. I would say it's self-love. See, I love you because I really love me. You know, I see you as something that pleases me. I see you that does, that, that is not, that's not biblical love. That's self-love. And, and what's another word for self-love? Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm thinking of a very general, simple word. Sin. <laughs> right? It is narcissism, yes. I was going more simple. That's kind of technical, you know. Uh, but here's, here's what we should have. And in spite of love. I love you in spite of your scars. I love you in spite of your weight. Your loss of hair on the top and gain of it on the back. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love you. I love you in spite of your idiosyncrasies. I love you in spite of your personality quirks. Right? That, that's, I mean, that, Jesus said love like I loved. Well, how did he love? Here's a verse for you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's what he said. 
His love for us is not conditioned on our appearance. It's not conditioned on our perfection. It's not conditioned on our performance. It's, it should be conditioned on the love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. All right, so the last thought is this, and I know we got to get out of here. It is not true love that is measurable, and uh, I just don't have time to really comment on that. But, but anyway, uh, let's f- obey the commands of the Lord today, and let's work on loving, loving one another, okay?